the IAB Australia podcast. Digital advertising leaders and the issues that matter. How do we make it simple? Try to stop a lot of the buzzwords. A chance to change the way a whole industry works. For more information, visit iabaustralia.com.au. Welcome to the IAB Australia podcast. I'm Gay Leroy, CEO of the IAB in Australia. In our last episode, we discussed changes in the search market, mainly being driven by AI. In this episode, we're going to open up the conversation to the current state of play in relation to AI in the advertising and marketing industry, efficiencies, opportunities, risks and responsibilities. Now, for regular listeners, if I sound a little different, I have chipped my tooth, so I have a little bit of a Cindy Brady thing going on. Um, So that is what is happening. I know you can't see it. But for the discussion today, and to stop me sounding like Cindy Brady too much, I'm joined by two industry experts. I've got Nick Seckold, who's the APAC VP for Microsoft Advertising. Hi, Nick. Hey, how are you? Very well. Um, And Kellen Kutze, who's the National Head of Media and Analytics for Reprise, which is the performance agency for media brands. Now, Kellen, that title, National Head of Media and Analytics, for a performance agency, you must be the busiest person in Australia. <laughs> um, I get a lot of questions every day, but they're the kind of questions that I love to get. So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. No, my pleasure. It's so good to be here. Um, the, re- all right. the, real, the real question is, what do you tell your mother? All right. Um, no, she still thinks um, like, oh, it's a bit of going back. But when I started in South Africa, we called um, uh, Search SEM PPC which was a big cement company. So she still thinks I work <laughs> in cement. Uh, that's a good point to ask. I guess we, we love asking people how they got into the industry and hopefully you didn't think you were getting into cement. What was, <laughs> no. what was your, did you always want to be in this industry? What was your pathway? Um, actually, it's, it's quite interesting. So um, I studied psychology um, and then halfway through kind of realised I don't really think I like people. Um <laughs> And decided to use the the powers for evil. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but I did I did have an interesting start. I started as a bingo chat moderator in an online casino. So part of the role was um, chatting to players. But on the other side, I had every sort of piece of analytics about um, their deposits, withdrawals, how often they played, how long. So incredibly analytical. Um, and then through that, I was able to determine um, how to kind of keep players um in the system and probably not the most ethical <laughs> work I've done in my life, but um, just uh, really played to my skills um, in terms of analytics. And then the, co- the company kind of identified a skill set there and they said, do you want to move over to PPC? And I was like, yes, please. I had no idea what it meant or what it stood for, but I was just, sounds good. And then, yeah, I got into the acquisition side of things, um, grew a conscience and then uh, <laughs> left the gaming <laughs> betting world and then um, went into performance marketing. Fantastic. Um, I also started in psychology and decided not that I, maybe I wouldn't work. I didn't like <laughs> but I went, I went into sociology. So it was lots of people rather yes, than individual yes. people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I, I might, uh, there's something in that. My daughter uh, is keen to, she's just about to graduate from high school and is looking at a psych degree. Uh, so mm, two people that have done it yeah. and not followed on with it. But anyway, we'll yeah. see. Understanding human behavior, that's what our industry is all about. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Understanding and being able to try and predict it, that is the, oh, that's what I live and breathe. Yeah. Nick, what about you? 
Yeah, well, my uh, my journey has started in London, actually. I um, probably showing my age here a little bit, but I um, I was fortunate enough to work for um, one of the largest publications in London uh, that targeted um, Antipodeans, so the Australian, uh, Kiwi, and South African expats who are out doing their two year visa. Uh, working holiday visa, living living the life in London. The, the magazine was called the TNT magazine. Um, many of you have probably uh, read it and been a- avid fans. So I was working for the TNT magazine um, back in the late 90s, actually. And uh, the, the company decided to start its own website, uh, which was a big thing back in those days. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the team um, that was asked to go. And I was in sales, so media sales, basically. So I was asked to kind of go and figure out, um, you know, what all this means from an advertiser perspective. So I kind of, that was my first sort of step into the world of digital, digital sales. Um, so I did that for a few years and, and was fortunate that, you know, the internet was was really starting to go mainstream, um, you know, and advertisers were starting to kind of think about the internet as a genuine form of communication and a channel that they could use to, you know, speak to consumers in lots of different areas. Uh, I was then... Um, asked to join uh, a small uh, search agency, basically, uh, based in, in Soho. Um, and similar to you, Cal and I, I didn't really know what search was back in those days. Someone said, we do search. I was like, what the hell is that? Uh, and they said, well, there's a little thing called Google. Funnily enough, I still didn't know what it was. That so didn't help. So my, my, I went in and, and um, I thought, well, what do you got to lose? So I, I went in and, uh, and the rest is history and, and sort of ended up running that business um, and then went over to Mindshare London to run their search business um, and then I'm into Asia, um, had a stint as, as Mindshare CEO in Singapore for a few years. I thought it's time for us digital people to, to step into leadership roles, um, some of the dinosaurs that are sort of the old school media uh, planners, you know, in the world of digital weren't necessarily had the experience or the, or the background to help advertisers kind of navigate this new world. So, yeah, that's kind of how I went into it. And I, and I still look back at that time, uh, you know, with really fond memories because it was an industry that was uh, exploding at the time. And uh, I'd like to say it was by, you know, by design that I chose this path and I, you know, I, I, I picked it, it was predicted, but actually it was totally by chance. And I happened to be in an industry which was riding this wave. Uh, Google exploded and did what they did. And, you know, obviously Microsoft um, was, was right there with them and a number of others that have either gone away or are still going. But, um, yeah, that's how it happened. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that, God, a TNT, I hadn't thought about for a million years, but that that transition in the types of advertising that was there, I mean, there was such a, you know, those millions of ads for pubs and, you know, classifieds, oh. but, you know, it was, it was an amazing revenue sh- sort of driver. It I was imagine. incredible, actually. Mm. It, it got up to like 300 pages at one point. And uh, it's a class, so we talk a lot about at Microsoft, we talk a lot about, sort of segment or sales motion. So we have our strategic sales motion where we look at top end of town, you know, that's white glove servicing. You know, we have our agency business, we have our channel partner business and we have our SMB business. And each of those sort of sales motions have a, have a different sort of strategy, if you like, because the, the end customer or the agency that's representing those customers are in different stages. Um, but the TNT magazine is was really through the line, actually, because you had 
the top end of town, um, you know, I was on the recruitment side. I think brands like Michael Page and Robert Walters, who were, you know, premium recruitment um, agencies. And then, and then of course, you had the, the pizza shop down the road that wanted, you know, Australia, New Zealand and South Africans to come and buy pizza from them. Uh, Kentucky tours and all the great stuff Fantastic. that was happening around that time. All right, we better talk AI. I could, <laughs> I could talk 90s London yeah. endlessly, but let's talk AI. So um, I'd love to sort of start off with getting a bit of a state of play. And Kelly, we might start with you in terms of in the last six months, conversations with clients around AI, are they active? Have they changed? What sort of the general, and I know each client will be different, but what's yeah. sort, of, sort of the general feeling? Um, well, it's a bit biased because I believe uh, the nature of my role, which has actually slightly changed more recently from um, national heads um, doing head of media and AI. So I do get a lot of the directed questions um, from clients. And I think what has been really interesting over the last six months is the maturity of uh, some of those conversations. Um, there are obviously lots of clients and um, companies that are still in the very nascent phase and trying to understand what is AI, where do I start, how do I use it? <clears throat> but some of the conversations actually quite interesting and the companies and clients are doing some really sophisticated things with e-com and trying to figure out how we can expand that into MarTech. Um, so it's it's been quite of a, a bit of a whirlwind, really. Never a dull moment. <laughs> how about you, Nick? I mean, obviously Microsoft's sort of deeply involved in AI. Um, I don't need to go through all the product side of things because I know there's a million interesting things. But yeah. from an advertising point of view and conversation with the clients, what's changing and what's what's active? Oh well, I mean, there's so much here. I, I mean, as you say, I won't go into the, the everything, but I, I, I think for me, AI, as as you both know, is not new when it comes to advertising, but it's the generative piece of the AI that that is really what's capturing the hearts. Uh, and minds really of both advertisers and consumers. So, you know, I think if you if you kind of dig into the details of, of both of those two sides, there are there are some wonderful opportunities um, that that everybody's really interested to to know more about. And then how can they can they leverage it? Um, you know, and and when you know, it, there's never been a time where we've been able to ask a machine a question. Uh, and get a really decent answer. So the answer still needs curation and all the things that you know we're working through. But um, you know, I think Yahoo Answers was out many, many years ago, and the promise was ask it a question, get an answer back. Uh, but it was pretty terrible. The response, you know, wasn't great, and and obviously that never went anywhere. But now, now it is a time um, where, as a consumer, you can start to use um, this this technology uh, to help navigate the web i mean if you think about it from a from a, a bing perspective you know the bing chat it's a, it's it's really helping consumers get to what they're looking for quicker whether that's you know seeking information or they're shopping or whatever it might be i mean some great applications i'm sure you've both used it um you know where you can set recipe you know recipes and, and it tells you exactly what the what ingredients you need and what portions you need and all those sorts of things and takes away uh, a, a lot of the the, the legwork um, you know, also similarly from a from a travel perspective, you can you can ask it really detailed questions and, and get a pretty decent response back. So there's definitely um, you know a, a huge upside on the commu commu com consumer side. From an advertising perspective, it's still very new. Uh, but I want to I want to be clear with the listeners that it's this is AI is not new. AI has been in our world for quite some time, and there's some great technology out there that's offering automated bidding, for example, or 
uh, dynamic search ads in, in our world and, and so on. Um, but that's the, it's the, the promise now of better, you know, connecting in a more relevant way with consumers um, and, our, and being able to help them get to what they're looking for quicker. So the consumer journey is reducing uh, because there's no longer a need for, uh, if, if you're using these chat functions, there's no longer a need for um, a consumer coming onto the search experience to actually go and do that legwork themselves. Search has been a great tool for many, many years where you've been able to sort of um, use the technology to navigate the web and bring you back 10 blue links um, with all of this, you know, there's obviously been a lot more advances in terms of the content that comes back and the information that comes back. But primarily, it's still series of links that the consumer then needs to click on that's relevant to your query. And then you have to go off and navigate and find the information yourself. You might have multiple tabs open and sort of researching whatever it is that you're, you're researching. Now you can ask a question and effectively let the AI do the curation for you and bring all that back into a, an environment where you can then assess it or then refine what it is that, that you're refining. So, you know, the way that we're looking at this technology from an advertising perspective is it's really a massive change in the industry. I mean, the, you know, and I, and I would go as far as to say that it's as big as, uh, you know, the creation of the internet itself in a way because this, this technology now has the ability to shift so many different things, um, you know, from, from as a consumer, as an advertiser, and also as a practitioner within the industry in how we set up campaigns, how we measure campaigns, how we, how we uh, organize and curate data, the insights that we generate. So all of these sorts of things that the AI is going to be helping along with. And, you know, we, we, we kind of coined this term. Um, we talk about the, the Gen AI piece at Microsoft more as your co-pilot and helping you navigate through all of these different areas, regardless of, of how you want to apply that. So, yeah, really massive. And, and from a client perspective and agencies, really, people are saying, well, hey, this is awesome. How do we use it? What do we do? How do we, how do we get this into our business and drive more value from it? And that's a work in progress. Those, those things are yeah. still moving on. Okay. Kellen, I know you were keen to jump in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, no, I think they made some really good um, distinctions, I think. Um, uh, anyone listening to this podcast probably knows, but just to get everyone on the same page, there's uh, the predictive side of the AI that's been around for ages in this new generative um, uh, piece. And I would love to hear from Nick um, uh, too on this, but I, I wanted to just take a step back because I know we're going to talk about um, generative AI and the impacts of media over the next 20 or so minutes. But I think from a consumer perspective, one of the most powerful applications of Gen, uh, Gen AI that I've seen um, has actually been, have you heard of a site called character.ai? Um, concept is basically you can speak to anyone um, in the world like William Shakespeare or Billie Eilish, but anything that's been published from them has been um, uh, feeding this AI to, to be, you know, uh, as close to that personality as possible. And from that, when I was looking into this maybe five months ago, there was a psychologist, which is really cool, and bringing that sort of... Um, service to people who might not have had access to those services before and there were three million users i checked uh, yesterday there's up to 40 million different people accessing services like that so i think when we take a step back and beyond media and advertising you think about the impact of gen ai to the community that's a really really powerful positive uh, application 
Yeah, and to, to, to your point, I mean, it's, it's uh, I mean, just look at the, um, the how quickly uh, the ChatGPT app was downloaded. I think it's the fastest uh, growing app in history. You know, it's more downloads in in shorter amount of time than, you know, all of the main apps that, that, that we're, most of our, um, you know, most of us are using, whether it's TikTok or it's Instagram or Snap. And these, these apps, you kind of go, wow, they would, there's a lot of downloads. But I think, I think, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but it was probably weeks that it got to like, you know, 100 million downloads, uh, which is just phenomenal, which, which basically means I think that, that we as consumers, you know, we are now ready for this type of technology to enter our lives. And we're seeing the way that we can use it as, as utility and really gain benefit from it. So, so, Nick, on that opportunity side, and we will talk a bit later about the responsibility side because that's a big big piece of this as well, um, you talked a lot about, I guess, that consumer journey and how they're engaging differently with, with content. From a, If you're a marketer, that changes a lot of things in your whole, the way you present yourself to the world. Are, are there any sort of key opportunities there for marketers, do you feel, to sort of reset their business or the way they engage? Uh, I think there's lots. I mean, it really, I, I would, I would encourage marketers to kind of look at their whole value chain, like in terms of how they plan, how they, how they optimize the types of media that you're interacting with the messages, uh, because the AI can be applied, the, the gen AI technology can be applied to so many different areas, um, you know, of, of one's business. And, and I guess it's, it's trying to figure out you know, I mean, marketers that do have done a wonderful job over over many decades of figuring out consumer behaviour, uh, and then and then adapting um, their messaging um, to, to to sort of meet those consumers where they are on the platforms where they're spending time. So, you know, from that perspective, nothing changes. It's just the technology has advanced, uh, and therefore consumers are going to be using that technology in a in a in a way that we've not seen before. So how do marketers adapt to that and make sure that they remain relevant? Um, and obviously, the, the other challenge that, that, you know, I think the industry faces is everywhere is, is consumers adopt technology way quicker than marketers react and then build that into their, their plan. Now, there's a reason for that because you can't just flip on a dime when you've invested in, in process and resource and, and um, you know, all of the infrastructure around the, the times of the day. But, you know, I, I, what, I, what I'd say to marketers is, is, is carve off some time where you, you can create the, the agility in your business to, to really, you know, figure this stuff out and learn as much about it as you can to then apply what you think is relevant to, to your business. Kellen, from an agency point of view, and I know, you know, you'll be working with different clients in different ways, but um, I guess what's your role um, driving that sort of the, I guess, the particularly going forwards to Gen AI? Um, presumably there's roles in analytics, in media yep. planning. Um, I don't know if you saw last week uh, the favourite person we hate to talk about in, in media, Mark Ritson's talking around that AI will limit that, I guess, amount of differentiation. How do you make sure that what you're telling clients is not generic and the AI actually helps um, them grow their brand in their own unique way? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the thing that agencies do best, especially performance agencies, is test, learn and adapt. Um, try and find ways to mitigate against risk and not just accept 
products as given to us by some of the tech giants to apply as is, but really um, alter it to our clients' best interests and KPIs. So I think there's a role for agencies to try and keep tech accountable. Um, I know that we're moving into an era where we won't have as, um, I would say, accurate one-to-one reporting. So everything's done on modeling and how, you know, what is the agency role in keeping that accountable? Um, And then also in terms of like segmentation and, and being able to to apply some really sophisticated and clever creative ideas and then um, apply that through AI um, using the tech. I think that's um, also another unique space that agencies can play a role. Um, I would say that at the moment, maybe 30% of what I'm working on is really client bespoke. And that's, you know, between creating playbooks for them, um, education, um, consulting on their architecture to, sorry, my, like I, I I feel like I've coined this term. I don't know if anyone else is using it yet, but I'm going to make it happen. Um, but the MarTech architecture to enable the clients to use their their own tools and data um, in a way that connects to some of the, the bigger tech that the agencies are using. Um, and I would say another 70% is working internally. However, I would also argue that clients do benefit from the agency's um, application and advancement in using AI. So for instance, if we're using it to improve the processes in our SEO product, uh, you know, that clients are going to benefit from that. So there's lots of different pockets in which we're, we're working through it. But I think at the moment, we're just trying to help clients get on that journey, be more consultative. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it's not something that needs to sit within one department or with one silo. AI touches everything and everywhere. So how can agencies take the learnings and all the all of the mistakes and, and make those in a small way um, and then pass on those learnings to the wider teams and then onto their clients? And, and internally, yep. you know, obviously you're the, the ambassador. Um, <laughs> is there overall enthusiasm? Is there fear? Uh, is there a mix? Uh, um, I think there's far more enthusiasm then there is fear. Um, we've got a bit of an AI labs group going where people are constantly sending through tools and things that they've um, discovered. You know, we're looking at it, cool, how can we use this? How can we build it ourselves? How can we make it better? How can we adapt it so that it's safe? I think that's a really big part of um, another role that agencies play is, is that how do we not just um, dump a whole lot of IP into the ether that everyone else can um, benefit from, but how do we make sure that our clients' data and all the sorts of privacy and things are safe so it's it's I don't know if it's just the nature of how I work but everyone's been you know feeding off the enthusiasm from the team that I work with about it so if there are if there is anyone that's hesitant I haven't run into it too often yeah and Kellen, I, I just want to jump in there you, you, I 100% agree that the the layer that the agencies provide and 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 clients themselves as well over the top of the AI is a really critical piece here um, because the AI is only good as the input. Uh, you still need uh, someone with product expertise to interpret and direct the AI in the way that you need to direct it so you can get the best output. So the AI can only get you so far from what we've seen you know, in, in testing, but it's the, it's the level of expertise and the knowledge of the person that's using it, i.e. the agency, um, who can then make sure that you leverage it the best. I, I was on a, a plane um, to Singapore recently and I was listening to, uh, I was on a Qantas flight um, and I was listening to Amy Webb, who's the CEO of the Futures Group. 
she was doing a, a sort of a, 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 a South by South by talk that they'd recorded. So it was a series of that. Anyway, she was talking a little bit about the AI and um, uh, and the and the need for product expertise. Mm to prompt the AI and this concept of prompt engineering. Because, you know, if you've used the, the Bing chat function or you've been to ChatGPT, one of the challenges that I've faced anyway is, is well, what's the question? And then how do, you, how do you continue to prompt it in a way that refines exactly what, you, what gets to where you want to get to? And that's a bit of a skill. And the yeah. example that she used, which was so beautifully articulated, was really about, um, she said, all right, well, I'm going to use ChatGPT in this case um, to build a business plan. And the business that I want to create is a B2B business sits on a SaaS platform selling prompt engineering services to the world. Yeah. So she kind of went through and she, and she examples of, you know, all right, now now um, do some market research. And it came back with some role, results. Right, you know, put that in a table and put it and right, give me revenue models. So basically she built a business plan, mm-hmm. um, but she was saying she knew the, the questions to ask but if, you, if you're a layman and you've never done that before, you probably wouldn't have been able to get to the same result as quickly as she did. By the way, that took about 12 seconds for her to build a pretty robust business yeah. plan. Um, but essentially the point I'm making and she was making was really about you need the product expertise to sit over the top of the AI to make sure you direct it. So, yeah. so I think the challenge is making sure that, you know, the, the people within the agencies who have that expertise are, you know, working with it in a way that then leverages it, it, it and makes it more powerful. 100%. I've been on such a journey with prompt engineering as a term because at first when you get into, um, when you start learning about AI and prompts and hallucinations, etc., um, you just think about it in terms of the, the 120 characters that you're, pop- that you're popping into the machine. But mm-hmm. when you actually learn about how these AI models are trained and the prompt engineering that goes into creating specific language models that are dedicated to, say, the medical industry or the, the law industry, etc., um, it's it becomes the biggest question for us in terms of is prompt engineering itself with a, a role or do the people with the skill sets and understand the nuances of the things that we do have to have the skill set of prompt engineering and is that then democratized across the agency? So it's it's a, it's a constant debate, but um, I'll let you know which side of the fence we land on. <laughs> My prediction is you'll be hiring a, a head of prompt engineering <laughs> You know, no doubt, they'll, they'll, I, and I think that'll be a thing at some point down the road. It's, it's our industry, right? We go from vertical specific to general to back and forth. Um, but Kellen, on that, I guess, like practically training people up at the moment. Yeah. Is it is it mainly just, I guess, showcasing what can be done? What are the what are the new skills that you're looking yep. for in people? So we've got um, a few different projects or pillars within um, the the AI space, and um, a few of them are just like trying start starting with business problems. So, for instance, our, our team always have a problem. <laughs> who doesn't have a problem with finance? But how do we make that a little bit um, a little bit more painless? And how do we um, uh, make forecasting more accurate and consistent across the group? So we're starting with these business problems and how to apply AI and a few of the tools that we found along the way. But there's also a much bigger project where by we're trying to create our own closed system where it's not an open and how do we train the models and that. I thought would just be like, do we buy a language model? Do we train it um, ourselves? But even just to get it trained very well on three to five prompts takes a lot of prompting and engineering from the teams. But again, it's that question of if they're not a specialist, how do they know what those those prompts are? So there's two very different pillars that we're working through to, you know, yeah. put and ourselves. Like, 
Yeah, sorry. I guess there's there's rules then around feeding AI back into AI because that can sort of start making yeah. the model less effective as well. Exactly, exactly. So, and I don't expect my specialists to have to understand all that side of it, but I don't expect my prompt engineers to know the difference between um, Pmax brand safety and YouTube for action, you know. Absolutely. Um, That's where you get the product expertise, right? Exactly. Yeah. And Nick, like internally for Microsoft, I, I know there's always a million brainiacs sort of floating around. Um, but has there been a different approach to hiring or skills building across the organisation? Uh, not in our team, no. I mean, we, we would still look for the same uh, the same types of profiles, absolutely. Um, certainly nothing yet. I mean, I know across the organisation, I mean, Microsoft's a, a pretty pretty big organisation beyond sort of the, the advertising business. But, you know, there, there's definitely been uh, the, 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 anyone that's working in the field of AI uh, is in super hot demand. Um, you know, we've had a couple of people that, that we've rolled out. I think I think the the guy that I'm thinking of has probably done I don't know 350 meetings in a couple of months, uh, just because every team on in the organisation, you know, across every state in Australia, have been asking this person because there you know there there weren't that many of them. So I imagine across the business there there are definitely a few more AI roles that are available. Um, and building building out that team and and um, but they're massively valuable. We we brought a, a few of those guys into some of our client meetings and clients want to talk about the AI not so much from yes from an advertising perspective but these people bring so much more value around you know how can how can AI play a role in you know all facets of the business regardless of just just um just the marketing or the or the advertising piece so but yeah I, look will that change in the future for us maybe i mean i think we'll probably find um you know candidates will come to us uh, with some prompt engineering skills uh, because you know a year from now this this will become sort of a lot more mainstream than it is and probably less talked about in the in the press and the media um but people will just do a whole lot of bunch of you know home learning because all this all this in, information sort of exists and a lot of it is do, you know, learn by doing, so to speak. So um, I think we'll find the candidate profile will change over time. All right. I'd love to finish on responsibility. Um, and Nick, we might start with you because, you know, obviously you guys are at the heart of this. Is there a sort of a Microsoft approach to thinking about responsibility in AI? Uh, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a hot topic um, internally. Um, you know, Microsoft is a, is a brand that's built on trust and, and prides itself on building uh, tools and technology that that people love and and that trust us. So, you know, there's a heritage in this space already. Um, you know, I think we're really optimistic about the future of AI. You know, we think the advances will solve um, a hell, uh, you know more challenges than than than, than they not than not. Um, you know, when you create technology that can change the world, you have to make sure that it's used responsibly. So, you know, off the back of that. Uh, principle, you know, we, our work is really guided by a core set of principles, um, and they are fairness, reliability and safety, privacy and security, inclusiveness, transparency and accountability. So pretty much everything that we're doing in the field of AI, um, you know, is using is using these core sets of principles as guiding guiding sort of pillars. Um, and if it doesn't measure up to one of those, then then of course it's being questioned or or, or not happening. So. 
The other thing we're doing is, is around knowledge sharing. Um, so, you know, we're fortunate that we sit in this position as Microsoft, where we've been partnering with OpenAI for a number of years and, and invested, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in helping um, them develop the technology, which is why I guess they came out of the gate with ChatGPT with such fanfare, because it was pretty much ready to go. Um, some of our competitors weren't, weren't, I guess, as fortunate, but we'll absolutely catch up, um, you know, in this space. But what that means in, in terms of what that means for Microsoft is that it's sharing um, its knowledge. We're sharing our knowledge and expertise, um, you know, um, and this includes publishing key documents such as responsibility, AI standards, AI impact assessment, assessment templates and so on and so forth. So there's a bunch of stuff that Microsoft is. It, we're not just going to sit on it and say, hey, this is ours. You know, we're going to sit on this and because it gives us competitive advantage. This is really about enabling the, the ecosystem, enabling our partners, helping them win, creating, you know, opportunities for them to then, you know, plug the AI into their own businesses uh, and apply it in the way that makes sense for, for them. So, yeah, I, look, there's a bunch of other stuff. There's, yeah. there's probably a, and I'm a, sure uh, you're like globally governments are looking at this, like industry working with government. Absolutely. Consumer yeah. advocates. Yep. Absolutely. Um, our, president, our president, Brad Smith, is, is, is actively engaged with government, um, you know, and encouraging policymakers to, to think about um, their role in, in this space and, and encouraging them to sort of um, legislate and, and get into sort of this regulation piece. Not my areas of expertise, but, you know, rest assured, Microsoft is, has got a, a seat at the table in all of these discussions and, and takes it really seriously. So. Yeah, and, and Kellen, responsibility, does that come up? Oh, heaps. Um, so I think from a more pragmatic level, what we're seeing is that there is going to be a lot more generative in the creative space. We're seeing that through um, basically a Microsoft's Google. They're trying to be a lot more visual with their, um, their advertising. Um, but what, what's interesting for us is that um, when it comes to that creative, who has the responsibility for what is gen actually generated? So... Um, I don't know if we have time for this, but it's it's really an interesting precedent at the moment is that, I don't know if you heard about N Naruto, the macaque from Indonesia. So it's a, a, a let's go back. So there's a nature photographer, um, David Slater, who was in Indonesia taking some photos and he left his camera down and um, this monkey took a selfie. He published the photo um, and obviously got, um, you know, compensated for that. Then Peter sued David saying that it uh, wasn't his creative um, property. Ah. It was property of the monkey. Um, and what, what is interesting is that when this went to court, it's actually set the precedent for AI and um, the creative there because the judge ruled that in order for a creative to be commissionable, um, it needs to be created by human. And if the animal or the AI cannot take responsibility for what has been created, then it cannot be commercialized. So when we think about how we're gen using generative AI as content for our, our media and our marketing, mm. if there is something that goes wrong, who's held responsible, is the brand, is the agency, is the AI, it's a bit of a gray area. And I think we're steam steamrolling ahead into the space without really understanding the implications of that. Um, so I think from an agency perspective, this is, a, again, a spot where we can actually hold um, some of these tech giants accountable for um you know, what, what is brand safe? What is brand suitable? But also your client's IP, right? What, exactly. What if it's created, if it's their IP in the end, you know, yeah. what's, yeah, it's, 
fascinating. It sounds like a whole other podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll have the monkeys come in and speak for themselves. Monkey, yeah. yeah, I hope the monkey got compensated in that case. Oh, so actually, David bananas? Slater, um, he won he won the case, but he ended up um, donating all of the um, money that he made from that photo to Peter anyway. So it's a happy ending. There you go. Fantastic. Good. Um, thank you both for joining me. It's been a great conversation and I really look forward to catching up with you both again and, and continuing the chat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Appreciate that. Nice to chat. Thanks, Kellen. The IAB Australia podcast, digital advertising leaders and the issues that matter. For more information, visit iabaustralia.com.au. Take care.